0: This morning, because we have the privilege to look into the Word of God together, I encourage all of you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon. It's right after Titus and right before Hebrews. In the Pew Bible, the Red Pew Bible, it's page 845. 845. Here's the book of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear brother and fellow worker. To Ephia, our sister. To our Hiccupus, our fellow soldier. To the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always think, I always think, of my God. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in your sharing of the faith, and of your faith, so that you will have the full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, ...have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you in the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that the favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but but better than a slave, as a dear brother he is a very dear he is very dear to me and even dearer to you both as a man and as a brother in the lord so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me for he has done you for if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me i paul am writing this with my own hand i will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your own obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I have asked. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me, for I hope, to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Ephraim, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, be with you, your spirit.
1: you, John. A wealthy woman was traveling overseas when she saw this beautiful bracelet that she thought was irresistible. So she texted her husband and said, Have found wonderful bracelet, price $75,000. May I buy it? And her husband promptly texted her back this response No price too high. But somehow, as the wife received her husband's response, one little comma was omitted, so the text said, No price too high. <laughs> and the wife was thrilled that she purchased the bracelets. Now, needless to say, at her return, her husband was dismayed. One little thing. A comma, but what a difference it made. So much can be lost in our communication with one another. One little word, one phrase omitted, one slight inflection, a change in tone, or even our perceptions can alter our interpretation so that misunderstandings occur. But I use this example to illustrate something else. There is a price to pay for forgiveness. The ultimate price has already been paid by Jesus Christ who took on himself our sin and its penalty. And for that, we are eternally indebted to him. Jesus did not say the price was too high, for he went to the cross feeling the full weight of the wrath of a holy God for sin he did not commit. And stood in the gap for sinners in need of reconciliation. Jesus died that we might be reconciled. What price can you put on that? We've been working our way through the very pertinent topic of forgiveness. This is our final message this morning on this issue. issue and we'll address some lingering questions this evening uh, to wrap it up. But it is a relevant topic for all times, for any day, any time in the life of a church, because many Christians are sidelined because of past hurts. Many are in great misery and pain due to deep wounds inflicted by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. As it's been said, we inherit our brothers and sisters. We don't choose them, right? And you don't have to be part of a church for long to discover that you will need to forgive someone. We're a bunch of imperfect people. It's inevitable that we will rub each other the wrong way, we will offend each other, there will be misunderstandings, we will have conflict. It is true of all relationships, it is true in marriage. When I got married, I married a sinner. And what is even more surprising is so did my wife. (laughs) It's impossible for us not to offend each other. So unless you live in an uninhabited island, you will need to learn to forgive and to be forgiven. And never are we more like Jesus Christ than when we forgive. On the way home from church, a little girl said, Mom, I've been thinking. The mother said, Oh, about what? The girl continued, well, my Sunday school teacher said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Oh, yes, that's true, the mother said. My teacher also said that God lives within us. Is that true, too? Again, the mother replied, yes, that's true also. Well, said the girl, if God is bigger than us and God lives in us, wouldn't he show through? (laughs) That's a good question. That's a good question. Does God show through our lives? We are never more like God than when we forgive. Is he showing through? Is he showing through? And we have today a beautiful case study for what we've been talking about. It is a case in point, exhibit A, if you will, that does well to summarize and close out our study. Uh, So look with me at the book of Philemon. Hopefully it encloses your Bible because then you're going to have to go find it again. And it's only one page, at least in mine. It's only one page. It's after Titus, before Hebrews, um, towards the end of your Bible. Please turn there. Look at this. I wanted the whole thing read so we get the real flavor of what's going on here. And you might wonder why a letter such as this is included in the God-breathed Scriptures. It is a letter to one guy about forgiving one slave. Why all this fuss? Well, even though in these 25 verses the word forgiveness is never used, it is a book about forgiveness. It is an incredible story of a Christian master Philemon and his unbelieving slave named Onesimus. Now, I need to remind you of where slavery was in most cases at this time. The slave entered into slavery by contract with the slave owner. There was not anything inherently wrong about such a relationship, and in many ways, it would be similar to a modern employer-employee arrangement. Most slaves ate well and lived at a higher standard than poor freemen. Slaves learned to trade, and some even owned property. In many cases, the slaves and their owners developed a close bond and were considered part of the family. It was the abuses of slavery that are addressed in Scripture and not slavery itself. Now, Philemon seemed to be a decent master. Onesimus, the slave, however, felt that it would be better off to run away. And apparently, he ran away with some things that didn't belong to him. Now, even if Onesimus didn't literally take some of the master's money, what he did by running away was a crime equal to stealing. This was a serious matter for Onesimus, who defrauded his master, was guilty of a crime, a crime punishable under Roman law. Philemon would have had a right as a master to punish this fugitive slave any way he saw fit. Now, this is where the story is quite fascinating. Philemon, the master, was a convert of Paul and very active in ministry. A church met right in his home. Onesimus... The slave, when he left, he was an unbeliever, and it just so happened that Onesimus, in trying to hide in Rome with its large population, met up with Paul. I mean, go figure. And it just so happened that in bumping into the apostle Paul, Onesimus came to Christ. And so Paul here is the man in the middle. He led Philemon to Christ years ago, and now he had opportunity to lead Philemon's runaway slave to Christ. And in conversation with Onesimus, it must have come up that he was a runaway slave. And and, and Paul must have said, "Well, well, who's your master? And it just so happened that Paul knew his master very well. Now, furthermore, this is a dilemma for Paul because he would love to keep Onesimus with him, for he's been of great help to him already. Paul knows that the the slave, though, has an obligation to make things right with his master. Morally, Paul could not keep someone else's slave without the master's consent. So Paul writes his personal letter to Philemon on Onesimus' behalf. That's the backdrop of the letter that Paul writes. Now, noteworthy, noteworthy is that Onesimus would accompany the delivery of this letter. That's significant, as we're going to see a little bit later. I needed to give this background to you, and hopefully your eyes are not now at half-mast. I mean, hopefully we're still with me here. But I needed to give you that background. And in case you haven't already observed, there are three characters in this cast. There's Philemon, there's Onesimus, there's the Apostle Paul. Philemon is the one who has been wronged. Onesimus is the wrongdoer, and Paul is the peacemaker, the mediator, the one who becomes the bridge of reconciliation for the other two guys to cross over. Which one can you identify with the most? Philemon, Onesimus, the Apostle Paul? I mean, do you need to forgive, or are you the one who needs to make things right? Or are you being called upon, don't rule this out, are you being called upon to step up and stand in the gap and leading others toward reconciliation? Now, before we look at some of the specifics, I want you to fill in this blank. I would like to experience reconciliation with blank. I would like to experience reconciliation with blank. Fill it in. Or... I would like to see reconciliation take place between blank and blank. Either one. What we see this morning is what completes the process of forgiveness. It is answering after forgiveness, then what? We see here the reception. We see here the restoration. We see here the restitution. And then the refreshment to all. So follow along with me, the reception, look with me at verses 4 through 7. Verse 4 says, I always thank my God, verse 4, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, so that you have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul opens up this letter after some just regular greetings. He opens up this letter by commending Philemon for his quality of life. Now, that is a great approach if your role is bringing two people together toward reconciliation. But what I want us to see about this is a character is the character of a forgiver. We see this man's faith in Christ. We see this man's concern for people. We see his heart for the lost. It's noted that Philemon brings refreshment to the hearts of others, the end of verse 7. And lastly, it says here that Philemon was known by his love. That's a pretty good thing to be known for, don't you think? Am I known for my love? Do others say about you and your name comes up, oh, yeah, he's such a loving person. Paul is saying here that Philemon has the kind of character that will forgive. He knows he's a forgiver because his faith is real, his love is extraordinary, and he's genuinely concerned for the entire fellowship. Don't miss this. A few weeks back, I spoke on forgiveness being a family affair. And if Philemon here chooses to forgive this guy, it's going to have a huge impact on the church because this was a serious felony. It's going to send a strong message to the church about the priority of forgiveness and belonging. Have you ever thought of your your choice to forgive in that light? Have you ever thought about whether you refuse to forgive or you choose to forgive, that it's going to have some impact on the brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in this room? Have we? On the whole church? Well, Paul appeals to his character, and he asks him to receive Onesimus back. And Paul does not want to use his apostolic authority to demand obedience. So he says in verse 8, Hey, I could be bold here, and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. You see, we can't force a request for forgiveness. Have you noticed that when we force it, it doesn't really fix the conflict? Grace always invites rather than demands reconciliation. And Paul gives Philemon the benefit of the doubt because of the kind of man he is and he knew he would do the right thing. Paul wants his friend to be motivated by love and to respond to the request with a willing heart and not out of guilt. Because God loves a cheerful giver. One of the great blessings of forgiveness is that we do it willingly, right? Some of us, we try and do it with our kids and it's a good lesson, right? We say, you need to forgive you. Go ahead. How's that work? They go, all right, I forgive you, right? What's really a blessing, though, is when they do it on their own. When they cross that line and finally go to their brother, their sibling, and say, I I need you to forgive me. And they say, I forgive you. That is a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're shooting for as parents. Paul's saying, I'm not going to just try and grab you two and pull you together and say, you say, I forgive, and you say, I forgive you. I want you to do it willingly, there's blessing in that. In a very real sense here, though, you need to understand that Paul's putting his friendship on the line. He sends a straightforward message asking his friend to do the right thing. He comes to him as a fellow brother in Christ and not heavy-handed. He goes for the high roads. Now, although Philemon was a man characterized by love, and his sinful humanness to forgive this runaway slave was asking a lot. Now, you need to picture this. It's quite likely that as Philemon is reading this letter for the very first time, Onesimus was standing right there in his presence. Think about it. The one who has wronged you, defrauded you, embarrassed you, betrayed you, and abandoned you, is in your face as you must decide whether to receive him back again. I mean, it's probably a mix of emotions as Philemon's reading this letter. Joy and knowing that he came to the Lord, but angry that the slave would have a nerve to take off on him like that. He'd be frustrated to have even been put in this awkward situation. Does he punish him, or does he let him off the hook? Does he risk harming his Christian testimony? Or, or what would other slaves think if he just let this guy get away with running away? Might they run away too and, and become Christians, that's the risk. What price is he willing to pay? Paul's asking a lot of Philemon. He's asking him to receive him back. He says in verse 17, welcome him as you would welcome me. Forgiveness requires a willingness to receive the person back. Here's the application. Can I really say I forgive him I just don't want anything to do with him again. Think about it. Can I really say that? Does God say to us, I forgive you, I just don't want anything else to do with you? It's a story, an old story of a farmer who went to the manager of his bank, and he said, I have some bad news and I have some good news. Which one do you want first? And the banker said, I don't know. Why don't you give me the bad news and get it over with? So the farmer said, well, with the bad drought and inflation and all, I won't be able to pay anything on the mortgage this year. Wow, that's pretty bad, the banker said. Well, it gets worse. I also won't be able to pay anything on the loan for all that farm equipment that I bought. Wow, that's bad, the banker replied. Well, no, it's worse than that. You remember I also borrowed to buy seeds and fertilizer and other supplies? Well, I can't pay any of that back either. Well, that's enough. The banker jumped in. That's the bad news. What in the world could be the good news after that? Tell me the good news. And the farmer says, well, the good news is is that I intend to keep doing business with you. (laughs) Well, gee, thanks. Right? Yippee. But you see, in spite of all our failures and all our wrongdoing before God, the good news is God still wants to do business with us. Forgiveness means I open up my heart and I welcome and receive the person back. It means that I must be willing to receive the person back. Now, let me just say this. If there's no sign of repentance and the process of forgiveness is incomplete because reconciliation is two-way. and What God calls us to, though, is a willingness to receive the person back even if there isn't repentance. There's a willingness there. And where there's forgiveness, where there's repentance, where there's change, it opens up the way for reconciliation. That's where forgiveness starts, opening up our hearts and a willingness to let the person back in our lives. must start there. After forgiveness, then what? There's reception. Secondly, there's a restoration. There's a restoration. Now, restoration cannot take place until the wrongdoer has repented. And one way that we see repentance, because you may say, well, how did Onesimus repent? Well, one way that Philemon would have seen Onesimus' repentance is that Onesimus returns to the master's home. I remind you that as Paul writes this letter, he finishes the letter in his own handwriting, and then he gives it to his messenger. And then the messenger, Tychicus, and Onesimus go to Philemon's house to deliver the letter. Onesimus returns into this house not knowing what's going to happen to him. The old Onesimus would have run. The changed Onesimus walks through the door with a letter in hand from Paul who will explain everything. But he hasn't read the letter yet. I mean, it isn't as if Paul could could text Philemon or send him an email and say, I want to give you a heads up here. Soon Onesimus is going to be coming through the door. This is what it's all about. No. He's seeing this for the very first time. Time. He's repentant. He's a changed man. He's transformed. He's proven faithful. He's ready to be taken back. And the master should receive him back. But Paul says in verse 11, I love these words. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now there's a play on words here as Paul takes Onesimus' name, which means useful or profitable to speak of the radical change that, take, that has taken place. Prior to his conversion, he wasn't much of a worker, so it seems. He must have had a poor work ethic, for he says he was once useless. He wasn't living up to his name. But now that he's come to Christ, he's a changed man. That's what should be said for any Christian worker. He's the best worker there is. Useful, not useless. And Paul Paul vouches for the change. We need others to vouch for us where change is taking place. We don't do this enough for each other. We don't. Barnabas did it for Paul when he first came to know the Lord. Remember, they're all fearful, intimidated by this Paul. Maybe he's just saying he's a Christian. He wants inroads into the church, and and he's just going to destroy us. And Barnabas says, no, you can trust this guy. He's a good guy. He's converted. He's changed. Let him in. Paul's doing this very same thing for this new Christian Onesimus. We need to do this for each other. He says, Philemon, I have seen the changes in this guy's life. He might have once been useless. I'm telling you, I've seen and benefited from him. This guy's useful now. And if Philemon will give him a chance, he's going to benefit also. Paul is asking Philemon to receive Onesimus back into the home and restore him. Is there a risk? Yes. Would Onesimus wrong him again? Maybe. Has Onesimus really changed? I mean, really? Folks, grace is risky. It's risky. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. And if you're like me, suspicious by nature, giving others the benefit of the doubt, that's not going to come easy. But how many opportunities for blessing do we miss out on because we won't give someone a second chance? If Philemon chose not to receive Onesimus back, he would miss out on seeing his transformation. Where there's forgiveness, where there's repentance, it prepares the way for the relationship to be restored. Onesimus was a changed man. And verse 16 says he left a slave, he'd return as a brother. Who could have ever guessed that this rebellious runaway would be touched by God and changed? You see, a wonderful aspect to our salvation is that God has restored us to a place of usefulness. We are now put to good use, God's use. So after forgiveness, then what? Well, the repentant one, the forgiven one, should be brought back into function and ministry. Forgiveness carries the hope of renewed trust in the offender, but it doesn't guarantee it. This means that though, that if you were the one wrong, then you will need to demonstrate the genuineness of your forgiveness by giving opportunities to the one who hurt you to start a new track record, whatever that might look like. You see, forgiveness should happen immediately, but restoration is a process of rebuilding trust. Don't miss that. You see, trust can be easily broken, but it's recovered very, very slowly. That's how trust is. Gone like this. Trying to rebuild it takes a long time. Trust needs to be rebuilt. Any fallout, trust needs to be rebuilt. You can't rush this. It takes time. It is fragile. And so offender, remember trust takes time to be rebuilt. Don't just throw at them, oh, you must not have forgiven me. No, there's a trust factor there. Give the other person the gift of time. Well, I need to move on. After forgiveness, there's reception, there's restoration. Thirdly, one that we miss often, there's restitution. There's restitution. And you can look at it some other time. Exodus 22, verses 1 through 15, talk all, all about restitution. Exodus 22. But look what it says in our passage here, Philemon, verse 18. It says, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Paul understands that the slave and running away cost the owner some money. Add to that, Onesimus likely ran off with some money that didn't belong to him. And who knows, but that Onesimus' job was to take care of the money. Don't know, it's speculative. But one thing's for sure, because Paul says it, is if a loss of money was involved here, it will be made right. Restitution. We need to make things right. Not like the shoplifter Who writes to a department store and says, I've just become a Christian and I can't sleep at night because I feel so guilty. So here's $100 that I owe you. Then he signs his name and in a little postscript at the bottom, he adds, And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) That's not the restoration we're talking about. No, it's not how it works. That is what we owe and then some. We go the other way. Now, I don't want us to miss the living lesson here in Philemon about the role of restitution. Restitution is not at odds with forgiveness. It's not saying you must earn your favor with someone before they can forgive you, but it does mean that you pay back what you might have taken away in the wrong. Forgiveness is the right thing to do, and the one wrong is called to that. But don't take that as a reason for not making Restitution you should genuinely offer to pay back whatever you took from them. If you've wronged someone materially, you should offer to make that right. If they refuse to accept that restitution, they choose to forego it, that is grace. But seek to make it right. Now let me say one other thing about restitution, for we don't often think of this. If the idea of restitution is to give back whatever you've taken from someone then shouldn't that also include someone's dignity? Think about it with me. If in your loose lips you sank a fellow believer, then restitution would suggest you make that right with as many people as possible. If publicly you humiliated someone, then publicly there should be some kind of restitution. That's what I think. And I love Paul's role in all this. Look at the extent he will go to bring a solution to this conflict between two brothers. He knows this slave has no money. He knows the debt can't be paid. And Paul is so concerned that this issue of money might get in the way of Philemon's receiving his slave back. And the reconciliation that needs to take place won't take place. So Paul stands in for him again. And he says, what he owes, I'll tell you what, charge it to me. I want to remove all that. I love it. Are you willing to do that for another brother and sister in Christ because you know they need reconciliation? You say, I'm willing to pay it. Charge it to me. Wow. And then Paul adds at the end of verse 19, not to mention that you owe me your very self. What's Paul saying here? Well, in a stroke of genius, Paul throws in some added motivation for forgiveness and reconciliation. In essence, Paul is saying, Philemon, you are eternally indebted, to me. Why? Because Paul brought Philemon to faith. What do you owe the one who led you to Christ? Right? The one God used to deliver you from eternal damnation and separation from God. I can't even come close to paying back that person. I can't even come close to paying back the ones who invested in me over the years. My mentor, my parents, my wife, my professors, my Sunday school teachers, other staff members. See, Paul appeals to him in love, but he adds a little extra motivation here for Philemon. What a reminder the next time that we can't find it in us to forgive. Grab this. Since you have a spiritual debt you can never repay, can you not allow a material debt to go unpaid? Can't we fully forgive the one who owes us? Remember how much we owe that could, we could never repay. That's what he's saying. You see, there's more work to do after we forgive. God is all about reconciliation. It isn't. Oh, I forgive him. I'm done. No, no. That's not what Philemon says. Reconciliation is all about repair work. Keeping a record of wrongs keeps the wall intact. Two people cannot come together unless those walls between them are demolished. They must be knocked down. Healing begins as the debris is removed. Reception, restoration, restitution. And where reconciliation takes place, I want us to note this and the time that we have left. It's very few minutes. What reconciliation takes place, brothers and sisters in Christ, there is refreshment. There is refreshment. Oh, the blessings of forgiveness. Look at verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Forgive him. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. No price is too high. Paul ends where he began Philemon was known to refresh the hearts of others, and one thing that can tire us rather than refresh us is a broken relationship. It wears us out, and we're tired, and you can see it in people's eyes. And I know of people, and I'm sure you do too, who once carried the radiance of God whose countenance was refreshing to be around to only have the glow removed because they can't find their way out of the shadows and they're stuck. And when forgiveness completes the cycle and involves reconciliation, there is refreshment to all, the offended, the offender, the mediator, and to the entire fellowship. I've been thinking about this question this past week. Do we need... A fresh outpouring of God's refreshment among us here. Do we? Where does God want healing to come to this fellowship? Through reconciliation. I would like to experience reconciliation with. Are you Philemon? You've been wronged and it's time to open up your heart. Are you a Nessimus? You need to make something right with someone else? or are you Paul? You need to step in. You need to be part of the solution. You need to move others toward reconciliation. In what way is God calling you to refresh others through forgiveness and reconciliation? You see, for the face of Christ to glow on his followers, it means releasing all the pain and the hurt and the woundedness that has our hearts all bound up. I want the radiance to be back. If it's gone. A distinguished draftsman, engineer, artist, and thinker, Leonardo da Vinci is one of the outstanding intellects of history. Just before he started painting The Last Supper, he had a violent quarrel with a fellow painter. Enraged and bitter, Leonardo determined to paint the face of his enemy, the other artist, as the face of Judas. And thus take out his revenge by sending this man down in infamy. And Judas was one of the first faces he painted. And everyone recognized the face of the painter with whom Leonardo had quarreled. But when Leonardo came to paint the face of Christ, he couldn't make any progress. Something was holding him back. Something was frustrating his best efforts. He was stuck. And eventually... He came to the conclusion that the thing checking and frustrating him was that he had painted his enemy as Judas. So he decided to paint out the face of Judas and start fresh on the face of Jesus. He did, and this time, with a success which the ages have acclaimed. Leonardo experienced the power of forgiveness and grace. He discovered this principle. He discovered this principle. We cannot simultaneously paint the features of Christ into our life and paint another face with the colors of bitterness, rage, anger, and vengeance. Let me say it to you again. We cannot simultaneously paint the features of Christ into our life and paint another face with the colors of bitterness, anger, and vengeance. We can't. Which face are you focused on? Can you trust Christ with the forgiveness issues in your life? Can you release it to Him? And only then, only then can you, can we experience blessings and make us a blessing to others because the radiance and glow of Christ is on our face. Only then. Let's pray. Lord, help us in this whole matter of forgiveness. Big subject. In any way that have complicated this matter and how crucial it is and really simple it is to do, may we forget that and get back to the very basic truth that we are to forgive as Jesus Christ has forgiven us. That's a lot. Help us to have the attitude of forgiver that you want us to have, and may you do what you want to do and bring refreshment to this congregation to our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ through the vehicle of forgiveness and reconciliation. That's your business, that's your work, you're gonna do it, confident of that. We leave it in your hands, in Jesus' name, amen.